Well, there's no drama like church drama, and that's what we're going to talk about here in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about maturity, we're going to talk about what it is to be a mature Christian, and at the same time, we're going to talk about that age-old problem, wherever there's people, there's problems. We're going to talk about problems in the church. And at the same time, I'm going to share some examples of some things that have happened in my life and how there are some specific texts in chapter 3 that the Lord has done a lot of working in me on. So I'm, I'm excited to share some of that with you. This morning, let's go before the word in prayer. Before the word in prayer. That's not a good start, but we're already messing up. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll jump into verses 1 through 4. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, and we pray that you would continue to speak to us through your word. We thank you for your promises that it will never return void. We pray that we would leave here with a greater understanding of who you are, with a greater depth, Lord, and that you would continue to raise us up, to grow us up in the things of you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read together verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until nine, until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Megan's going to lecture me about glasses later today. I can feel it already. Pray for me. Are you not carnal? Now, we're seeing some important spiritual principles here. For the first few chapters, Paul has been commending them, calling them saints, calling them brethren in the Lord, that they are filled with the Spirit of God. And here he's saying, you can be filled with the Spirit, you can be a believer, and you can still be carnal. You can still be messing up. And this is important for some of us, because some of us, maybe this morning you're struggling because you're in a backslidden state, or you're, not, you're just not walking with the Lord like you know you should. And for some of us, you begin to question, like, am I even a Christian? Do I even believe in God? Yes, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you believe in your heart, if you confess Jesus, if you've been baptized, you are a believer. You're filled with the Spirit. And so Paul is now going to dig deep into correction. You were doing good. We set things up right, and you have erred. You've fallen. You're not doing good. It's time to get back on track. And that's not always a bad thing. The Bible tells us that the Lord loves those that he chastens. I mean, sometimes you got to get a spiritual comeuppance. It's a fancy way of getting the, the rod. You know, sometimes you need to be told, you're messing up. Stop it. And here he's saying that they're being carnal. They're in the flesh. They're not walking in the spirit. Now, Paul is not speaking from someone who is above the same struggle. All Christians struggle with these things. In Romans chapter 7, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul in verse 21 when he says, well, I find in a law that is evil, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity 
to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He's just explaining that even a spirit-filled believer is still wrestling that we're still in this fight, that we still want to do carnal things, that we, we still want to do things that are not God-honoring. But at the same time, in our minds, we, we are things that we want to do for the Lord. You know, we want to come to church on Sunday. We want to fellowship with God. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to preach the gospel. We also want to chase down the guy that cuts us off as we're trying to get onto 278 and 170. And we act out in the flesh. And this contradiction inside of us is very difficult as Christians because we see many fellowships today where they say, well, you can do whatever you want. You know, we're just all broken people and we shouldn't really say anything negative about anyone. We're just, we're just trying our best. Then on the other side, you have churches that are trying to make everything a law or a habit. And if you don't hit a certain standard, then you must not be a real Christian. And we see that there is some manner of grace where we are to be walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, but still understanding that we are going to fall and stumble and mess up and we need to be corrected. Remember the Corinthians that Paul is speaking to are very spiritual. They have all these different manifestations of the spirit, but much of this book is going to be correcting and disciplining those spiritual things. We know from the previous chapters that they're trying to pick which pastor they are. They follow. I'm a Paul. I'm a Apollos. Oh, no, I only serve Jesus. And they're beginning to segregate. They're beginning to split. There's cracks in the fellowship. Now, Paul had planted this church and had ministered to them for 18 months. Remember, he's somewhere else now. And he's writing this letter back to them, which is technically his second letter. The first one we don't have. But I want to point something out here because this is when we're going to need a little bit of spiritual discipline, a little bit of correction amongst us, the church. Because he says in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able. He's saying, you guys aren't, you Corinthians, you're not graduating. You're not, you're not improving. You're not getting better. You're actually at the lowest level right now. It is so sad that there are many quote-unquote, mature Christians who are not mature. They're actually being carnal. Now, you know my style. We're just going to call it out. You know, but there are people that are far more interested in how the European Union is forming in terms of eschatology, and they haven't mastered grace. They think that grace is beneath them. They think that salvation is beneath them. They think that, oh, yeah, you know, I confess Jesus Christ my Lord. I'm way past that. But Peter tells us that we're to be growing in grace, not growing in eschatology, as, in, as important and fundamental as that is. This is a eschatology church. We're a whole council of, Bi- of the Bible. We're a whole council of God church here. But we're to be growing in grace. It's far more important that we grow in the gifts of the Spirit than it is understanding how the ten nations are going to align themselves 
according to the prophecies of Daniel. As important as those things are, and they are important. We are to know the times. But grace and peace is not the milk of the word. It's not that you learn the base things of the Lord, you know, the things that we teach the kids in our Christian homes, and then we mature to these deeper, more intellectual things. We're actually being more carnal as Christians. We're separating and segregating ourselves. We're splitting up. You know, when you're traveling out of town to go see a certain teacher who's te- who teaches on a certain portion of Scripture, that's not, nothing wrong with that until you begin identifying yourself as that person or under that doctrine or, or you begin and you lead conversations this way. Are you unifying the church? Are you bringing people closer to the Lord and a deeper understanding of God? Or are you actually dividing the church? We are to rightly divide the word of God, not rightly divide the body of Christ. Very important. And it's unfortunate that as a pastor, when people come to me and they want to talk about these things, I love talking about it, and sometimes I take the bait. But then the pastor, the Holy Spirit, begins to remind me, yeah, but is that really what they need? When they, when they come and they want to ask these deep questions and they want to talk about these certain aspects, which are super awesome, I love it, but then there's something that's far deeper and more important that needs to be spoken about. Are we going to turn the conversation to that? Let's, let's ask a guy who knows way more than I do, David Guzik. You know, I like to go to that guy every once in a while. What did he say? He said, there's not two Gospels, one for the learned and one for the unlearned. There is no part of the gospel that we are authorized to keep back from the people. See, because there's too many Christians that think that there's hidden things in the Bible that you need to dig out, that nobody can understand it until you're a real Christian, until you're an elite Christian. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The deepest things of God are the easiest to receive. Jesus said, don't forbid the little children unto me. And what did he say about faith? He said, we need to have faith like these little children. Does that mean that we need to be at a lower level, turn the intellect off? No, remember what the Bible says through Peter, we are to grow in grace. Grace, living by grace, so important. What what is grace? Grace is the unmerited, unearned favor of God. That in us, we will follow the flesh I don't know about you guys. I guess I'm the only one. I go to the grocery store, and I see one register open, and there's that person in line with 300 items in the grocery cart. (sighs) And you're, like, making eye contact with the person in the aisle that's stocking shelves, like, you know, there's another register. Maybe you want to. And I start fleshing out. I'm like, come on here, people. You have seven registers here. One person. And then I realize, oh, yeah, I'm still falling. I'm still broken. I still wrestle. And then I'm encouraged because I know Paul does the same. That none of us has this figured out. And we're to grow in grace, live by faith. We're to understand that we yield to the Holy Spirit, and the Father has his way in us and his way in the church. And then it's so easy It's so easy in our flesh to start saying to ourselves, oh, yes, but I've got it down because I understand the premillennial dispensationalism, and I understand 
that the Antichrist is probably going to be of the tribe of Dan, and he's probably going to be an apostate Jew, and the people of Israel are going to go to blah, 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 blah. But if I'm not manifesting love, the love of God to the lost, if I'm not growing in discipline, if my prayer closet is not full, if I'm not spending time with the Lord, if I'm not studying the deep things of God, which are the simplest, what am I? Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 13. Well, we're going to see this thread all the way through this gospel. And we're going to see that the things that we think are not important are foundational, the things that we should be constantly focusing on. And the things that we get distracted on are usually the things that don't really matter that much at all. That the things that we have control over in our lives are the things that we ignore, and the things that we can't control in the world are the things that we get hooked up on, the things we get distracted on. And the enemy uses it to break us apart. That's the correction that Paul is bringing here to the Corinthians. Oh, you say you're of Paul. You say you're of Apollos. You say you're of this guy or that guy, this school or that school. What did he say earlier? Did any of those guys, were any of those guys crucified for you? No, Christ alone. Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. The writer of the Hebrews, Paul, <clears throat> the Bible students here are cringing. No. He, he wrote in Hebrews chapter 5, and we don't know who the writer of Paul is, except I do. It's Paul. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was expecting a little more heckling. Verse 10 of chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews says, Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Ouch. Well, what does he explain to us here? What's the context? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God that you have come to need milk and not solid food. See how we don't mature out of the milk? The milk is the priority here. It's foundational. It's fundamental. For everyone who partakes only of the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to leave this one up there because we're seeing one of the signs of maturity is that you're able to discern both good and evil. One of the signs of maturity is that you're able to understand the order of Melchizedek, which is the priesthood of Jesus. You're able to understand Jesus. You spend more time with Jesus. You represent Jesus. You're becoming more Christ-like. That's the solid food. Not intellectual, secret societies of people who are in the know. Oh, one day when you graduate to level 12, you'll be a real Christian. No. No. My five-year-old is as close to the Lord as I am. I just begin to know his mannerisms more. I've spent more time with him. I hear him more. I see him more. I understand the scriptures more. But he and I are at the same level of maturity intellectually. Okay, maybe it just seems that way. But in terms of righteousness, he is equally covered in the blood of Jesus Christ as I am. I have not earned my way to the kingdom. It was given to me by what? Grace. Unmerited, unearned favor. 
Grace in your marriage, grace in your home, grace in your workplace. Grace that unifies the church. It brings us together. It overcomes the flesh. It, it is able to conquer addictions and trials and mental issues. It's able to, to work. And how do we do that? By abiding in Christ. Because we know that apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what real spiritual maturity is. And Paul is complaining and he is correcting. He is saying, stop going in the direction you're going and come back to where we first started. Come back to the beginning. Now, what are signs of this carnality? What are signs that you're not yielding to the Spirit? Envy. When you're starting to look at somebody else and say, I want to be like that. Why, why, why them, not me? Strife. Strife. Causing friction. Causing problems, causing heartache. Everything has to be your way. That's not being filled with the Spirit. That's not yielding to the Spirit. Divisions. Are you a divider or a unifier? Do people want to be around you or do they try to avoid you? Do they look to you to build things up or do they look to you as something to avoid because you bring divisions? He says, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. He's being sarcastic. You know, he's he's saying, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Aren't you doing that? Stop it. For when one says, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? It used to be a very big deal to me to be a Calvary Chapel, to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. That used to be a very, very big deal to me. Not so much anymore. Is that a sign of maturity or is that a sign of weakness? Well, yes and no. Let's talk about this a little bit. But let's start off with verse 5 through 8. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So this is where that term church planting comes from. It comes from this portion of Scripture. For some plant, others water, and God grants the increase. Now, I shared with you earlier in the introduction that the Lord has spoke to me many times from this portion of Scripture, most of them corrective. And I'm going to share a little bit of story time with you all. Some of it's going to be church drama, and most of it's going to be to the glory of God. But we're going to talk about some names, like Mark Galvin, my pastor, Paul Charles. He's been here a couple times. You may have never heard of him. Only a couple of us here know who Joseph Cope is, who Dan Tuttle is. I hope you guys know who he is. Charles Wood, Nick Hensey, Mike Burford. I hope you guys know that guy. These are all servants of God that have been used in this area over the different years. And some have planted and some have watered. Some have prayed and labored for years for something only to not have it come to fruition. Then some random kid comes from California, plants a church, and eight years later, look at us all. Like, that's not fair, Lord. What are you doing here? Well, I'll tell you a story that I had. 
Back in 2011, late 2010, I had a heart to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. I'd read the Harvest book. I know how it works. If you want to be a Calvary Chapel pastor, you get saved, come out of drugs and alcohol, got it. Marry a supermodel, done. (laughs) Then you go start a church, and it becomes a mega church. That's how it works, done. All right, let's do it. Where do I go? So we we went to a little town called Soledad, California. It is nowhere, and it is nothing. It is known for its California State Prison and as a stop on the way to wherever you really want to go, on the 101 highway. And we, my wife and I traveled two and a half hours every morning, one way, every Sunday morning, to teach on a Sunday morning service in somebody's living room with two or three people, We spent time there, we prayed together, had lunch, and then we drove two and a half hours back, back to Lompoc, where I was working, where we lived. We began to sell our our stuff. We began to get ready. We moved into my mom's house so that we could get prepped to move there. And this is what it looks like. That's it. That's the whole town, surrounded by hills, a big highway going through it. We used to meet in one of those houses. There was a brand new high school there, the best Mexican Panaderia bakery shop I've ever been to in my life is there. I still talk about that place. And we traveled there and we prayed. And I walked those streets and I prayed. And I sat over the soccer field and I prayed, Lord, just bring some people. And I thought, where's, where's the mega church at? Where's the big Calvary Chapel? Isn't this how this is supposed to work? And the Lord broke me there. Nobody would come. Two or three families. I remember one time I was so excited. There were six people there in that living room. And we faithfully served until one day the host family came to me and said, you know, we got to move. I got a new career. I got a new job opportunity. I got to go somewhere. I go, what in the world? This isn't how this is supposed to work, Lord. And you, when you spend five hours driving every Sunday, you spend a lot of time talking to the Lord. And I realized that the Lord was teaching me. He was showing me one that it wasn't about building a church. It wasn't about building a mega church. It wasn't about trying to have this huge harvest. That when it was all stripped away, my wife and I, we really did just want to serve the Lord. There was no glory. Nobody knew about it. We were ignored. I remember the local, I met with the local uh, big Calvary over there, and they were great guys, and they really wanted to help. I don't want to say negative things, but they wanted me to go into their system and do things their way, and I'm just too rebellious and pig-headed to do that. No way. You can't tell me what to do. If you just come along us, you know, we'll show you the ways of church planting. And I just thought, or we could just let Jesus do this. The issue is that when you just let Jesus do it, sometimes he does it in a way that you don't want to do it. And you begin to question yourself. Back there in Calvary Chapel, Lompoc, here's a shot of it, by the way, the the new sanctuary. It was much smaller when we went there. They were praying for us. They were praying for for us in a moving of the Spirit, and they're praying for us now. They've been praying for us here, just watering with prayer, praying and praying. and, And Pastor Mark, he's always amazed at what the Lord's doing. And I learned in that season about these other men like Joseph Cope who planted Calvary Chapel Hilton Head. I mean, he was here for 10, 11 years. Year after year after year after year, he was here with Zayden. And I don't know how many people there were at their peak, but I know it was never too big. And then the Lord called him back to California. 
And he might have thought to himself, well, Lord, why did, you, why did you do this? Like, Lord, why did you allow this? Like, shouldn't I have been blessed? Wasn't I doing it right? What, what did I do wrong? And I'm so grateful that there's other pastors that fellowship here. And I'm grateful that there's people that have been elders in other churches. And you may be questioning, like, why? Why, why Lord, why does certain events? Why, why are we here? Why, why are you blessing this dumb kid up here? Aren't I smarter than him? Yes, you are. I'm just going to let you know. Remember the previous chapter that not many wise are called. But it's for God's glory. You see, what, what the Lord had to tell me, because I got so caught up in that time about the Calvary Chapel movement and where things were going and, and what other pastors were doing and how they were doing it and why were they doing it this way. They should go back to the old ways. The old ways are the way that they need to be done. Until the Lord showed me through the scriptures, through this one, and then through the parable of the vineyard. I've shared this with those that are near me. I got so caught up in that, I began to be the person that was corrected in the first few verses. So the Lord shared with me that parable of the vine dressers. Remember the vine dressers? The, the Lord used this parable. That means this story of a harvest that was ready. And the harvest, the, the vine owner, the vineyard owner, had the workers start early in the morning, and they started working. He realized there wasn't enough guys there. So he went down to the marketplace around... Um, coffee break time, you know, middle of the day, and he got some more guys. And then he realized he still needed more harvesters, so he went at lunchtime and then after lunch. And then finally, for the final push for the last hour, he got some more. And so he started paying the last ones first, and he paid them for a full day's wage. And the guys in the back were like, all right, if they're getting a full day, i got to get like 10 times as much. But then the next group came up, and he paid a day. And the next group in a day. And then finally, the last one was like, Lord, didn't we work from the very beginning? And you're only giving us one day's wage? Now, this parable specifically in its context is talking about salvation. That it doesn't matter if, if it's the, from the saddle to the ground, as Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, the last minute, or if you spent your whole life serving the Lord. He bestows his grace of salvation on all. But the Lord told me and shared for me from that scripture, why am I so worried about what everyone else is doing? How many grapes are in my basket? Stop worrying about whose basket has all the grapes. Stop worrying about who's got more grapes or who's worked longer or who hasn't worked as long. If you serve the master, which is our Lord Jesus Christ, then who cares what's in the other baskets? Work as unto the Lord. And it's about that time that the Lord shut the door there in Calvary Chapel Soledad. And I was there with my pastor, Pastor Mark, and Pastor Paul Charles there at the Costa Mesa Senior Pastors Conference. I don't remember. It must have been 2012, I think. And I just thought, well, I'll just serve in Lompoc forever. You know, whatever, Lord, I don't care. Whatever you want me. Then Paul comes up to me and goes, yeah, well, you should think about Hilton Head. I'm like, where? What? It's in South Carolina. I'm like, South Carolina, you're out of your mind. He's like, yeah, yeah, you should pray about it. The guy, you know, there used to be a church plant there, but I was just talking to him recently, and there's a guy that lives there, and I'm going to share, I'm going to um, spare you the 45-minute story. And he goes, yeah, and the guy, he's here at the conference. I go, oh, okay, well, if I bump into him, that would be interesting. Well, Paul Charles, he just goes off like a bloodhound and goes find Joseph Cope. Joseph comes up to me. He's about this tall, red hair. <laughs> comes up to me all fast. Hey, so when you go to South Carolina, 
the schools are great, and it's growing, and it's a wonderful place. There are a lot of people. I grew up there. I got, I'm just like, this guy's talking to me as if I am going. He is telling me how awesome it's going to be when I go. I go, this is weird. And he goes, and the worship leader that was there just called me the other day. Now, this may have been exaggerated slightly on his side. But he says, he wants to know when, you're gonna, when I'm coming back to start the church. You should go. I go, okay, that's, that's really weird. And so then he gives me Zayden's phone number. And I call Zayden. You can ask Zayden his side of the story. He'll tell you. And so then we go through the conference. I'm like, Lord, this is really weird. Like, I'm ready to do whatever you want, Lord. And the church is, Lompoc is small at this time. And so my pastor comes to me, Pastor Mark, who he'll be here in a couple of weeks in August. He says, yeah, the Lord's provided for you to get a plane ticket out there. Go check it out. I'm like, this is crazy. My, my church back home, we don't send people off. I mean, that's just not how things happen around there. I go, this is really weird. So I go, and I land, and I go, man, this place is hot. It was August. <laughs> it was hot. But then I went to the Waffle House. I'm like, okay, I can get into this. <laughs> Long story short, we taught, I taught there. I remember when we came down, we actually went to meet Zayden at his house. We were going to do a, uh, just a house Bible study that night, Paul Charles. Lots of drama. You can get the story from Zayden. It's funny. But I remember coming across the Broad River Bridge, and I remember saying, the Lord has called me here. It was the weirdest thing. And I'm like, how am I going to tell my wife? <laughs> and long story short, we see here this principle happening Today, here in this fellowship. But if we get distracted, Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying it doesn't matter what guy it is. It is Jesus who's doing his work in his church. It doesn't matter when or how, who grants the increase, all that stuff. Because in verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Whose reward? The Lord will reward. And if you've served the Lord for any amount of time, or you've planted somewhere, or you've watered somewhere, or you're here a part of the harvest, we're all just going to be in line together. And it's all for his glory. And I pray that's why other pastors and elders and people that have been in other areas come to this church. They don't come to hear me. It's because the Lord is here. And he is speaking. Remember, not many wise are called, not many noble. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And I I definitely remember the scripture, when a man thinks he has something, when he is nothing, he deceives even himself. Let that be a word of encouragement to some of us here that maybe have labored for a long time. Maybe you watered for a long time. You just didn't see any growth. And you might think, well, Lord just didn't use me. Tell that to Jeremiah. There was no revival in Jeremiah's day, the prophet. In fact, everything went terrible. But he was exactly where God called him, exactly when he needed to be there, and he was God's messenger for that place in that time. So no, I I don't really care so much about the Calvary Chapel movement. It is a very integral part of my DNA. It's very important to me. But if it becomes a distraction from Jesus, then we'll take that dove and we'll toss it in the trash. Because it is nothing compared to the word of God. Did that dove, did it get crucified for me? Absolutely not. Jesus did. Now, if they want that dove, though, they've got to come and take it. Just telling you. 
When a man thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives even himself. If you think you're spiritually mature because you listen to pastor so-and-so or pastor such-and-such, you're deceiving yourself as well. He is the messenger. God is the message. Jesus is the message. Salvation is the message. And we all need to be concerned about what's in our basket. What are we doing for the Lord and how are we doing it? Now, Paul's correcting these Corinthians who are acting carnally. They're just trying to pick sides. They're trying to pick teams. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, saying there are no teams. doesn't matter who came, who went, who did it. It's all for the Lord. And so he's going to continue this theme in verses 9 through 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But they'll try. But they'll, they'll try and build churches to this day, and they're not going to build it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you a little bit about construction. In construction, we get these things called blueprints. They're not blue. They're black and white now. And they give you the, the black and white prints, and it says exactly how you're supposed to do everything. So the electricians, they put the electric the way it says. The pipes go where it says. The foundation, where it says. The concrete, a certain way. The steel, a certain way. If you go and you take those plans and you say, well, that's good, but I'm going to do mine different, you're going to mess up the whole thing. you got to work together and build it according to the plans because there's a wise engineer architect. At least we like to think so. I've argued with plenty of them. But you just can't say, well, you know what? It says steel. I'm going to use wood instead. That's how buildings collapse. When you see bridges falling onto the local news, that's why. You see where I'm going with this? We need to serve as unto the Lord as the wise master builder, and that's what Paul is saying. We do what he says the way he says it, the way he wants it done, because it's all done that way for a purpose. Listen, if we preach the word of God here and we build the church the way God says, but then you don't build your home the way the Bible says, it's going to fall apart. If we have strong homes, but then we don't do church the way that God says, it's going to fall apart. If we try and take certain parts of the word and say, okay, we're going to follow this one to the T, and then other parts, we go, yeah, 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 but that was, then we'll just change that a little bit. It begins to fall apart. The same way that when a certain portion of a building is supposed to be steel and a certain portion is supposed to be wood. Now, does it matter who does the building? No. It doesn't matter who does the foundation, who does the wiring, the piping, the steel, the roof. doesn't matter. As long as we all work together and we build it the way the master says. That means that we all have to work together. There are too many churches today where A handful of people do all the work, and everyone else just watches. That's not what it says to do. The book says that we are the body of Christ. The pastor doesn't do all the spiritual work. He has an important role, yes, a unique role, yes. But we collectively should be praying, should be raising ourselves up in the Word of God. We need to be 
sharing the gospel. The church doesn't share the gospel. The church doesn't make missionaries. The Holy Spirit does. The church just comes and confirms and supports what the Lord is doing. All of us are to be participants because all of us are in the body of Christ. And we all have unique jobs to do. And that's what Paul's trying to emphasize. They were, say, they were trying to emphasize one portion or one particular spiritual gift or one particular teacher. No, no, it takes all of us. And don't let yourself be fooled into thinking that you're smarter than someone else because you go and you follow someone, and I just keep beating on eschatology because it's so um, prominent today. You only go to teachers that only teach that. That's, you, if you only go to plumbing school and all you hear about is plumbing and all you do is plumbing, you can't put a roof over your head with plumbing. It takes the whole body. It takes the whole team. Now, do you, if you have a special calling somewhere, that's awesome. And we should ha- all have unique callings that fit together perfectly in the body of Christ. We all, as we're going to see in Corinthians through the rest of this book, have unique spiritual gifts. That means that someone like me, who's not too spiritual, I need to have people that are spiritual in my life. And we balance each other out. I keep spiritual people from going off the deep end and going crazy. And they remind me that the gifts of the Spirit are in the book, and we need to be exercising those things. I'm an anchor to someone else's sails. We, we balance each other out. But unfortunately, you begin to have churches that are only one portion or one gift, or one type of teacher, and they begin to isolate and separate. Isn't that exactly what Paul is trying to correct in the Corinthian church here in our text this morning? There's a denomination of Apollos and the denomination of Paul, but those unique giftings should be working together. If you're falling asleep now, this is the point. This is by for and about Jesus, or we are wasting our time. That's the point. And if your walk with the Lord, your service to God is anything but by, for, and about Jesus, it is a waste of time. But if it is, regardless of the results, you will reap the reward. Remember that Paul had planted this church, but now he's gone, and other people are leading it now in Corinth. And he's bringing that word of correction through the word of God. But the the ministry continues, and it always continues. Now let's read verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work and what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. I remember one of my last sermons that I taught in Lompoc. It was um, in Proverbs, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And we just had a recent storm recently. It just went really quick through the, the neighborhood, pretty loud, pretty, pretty strong. A lot of trees fell down. I slept like a baby because I got a strong house. I, I didn't worry about it. Spiritually, it should be the same way for us. Our works will be judged. They'll be tested. 
not just in this world, but before the Lord. Now, this testing is not about salvation. This is just about our works as to God. And this used to terrify me. Oh, my gosh, maybe I did all this work for the Lord, and he won't, he won't be honored by it. Now, it is a complete blessing to me because every single thing that I've messed up, every verse I can't read correctly, every time I taught something incorrectly, needed to repent from it, any time that I cut one of you off and maybe you saw me with, you know, it's not going to make it through. I, the Lord's going to have a big eraser on all that. Oh, my, this is grace, not judgment. And that's the goodness of God. What do we also see? Maybe the small things that nobody's given you any accolades for. Maybe the small things that you always were wondering, did this even matter? When you're before the Lord, it could be gold. It could be a diamond. It could be precious to the Lord. Remember when the Lord was before the centurion and he marveled at his faith? I've always wanted the Lord to marvel at my faith. But then what do we remember? In Hebrews, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that gives us the faith that he marvels at. Probably looks at us and says, I can't believe that worked. Look at that guy. I'm just kidding. We need to re- In 2 Corinthians, this, Paul writes, We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Oh, are you living your life to see the Lord? Are you living your life to see what is pleasing to him and what is not? It won't matter how big your church is when you're before the Lord, only that you obeyed his calling and did what he called, asked you to do. We see even the 24 elders in the book of Revelation. What do they do with their rewards? What do they do with their crowns? In verses 10 and 11 of Revelation 4, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Your work for the Lord, whatever rewards you get for it, you're going to realize you wouldn't be any of those things without him, and then we'll be giving those crowns back, crown of life, crown of martyrdom, Special crowns that the Bible talks about. You can research them on your own. I pray that your work is for the king. Don't let it be for the church. Don't let it be to please me or anyone else. Don't let it be to please a denomination. Don't let it be to please a non-denomination denomination, because I guess that's what we're calling the movement now. Don't let it be to pleasing men or your spouse or your kids or the polls or the government. We need to live our lives to be pleasing to the king because only he will judge us. Only he will reward us for eternity. And only he has died and was crucified for us. Again, I believe, and I'm so grateful that we have pastors here and elders and teachers and Sunday school teachers, servants of Christ, and I know they're not here because of my speaking. They're not here for my eloquence. I can't even read English. I pray that they're here because they're after the king. They want to hear his words. They want to grow in grace and the deep things of God. Be used by him, and maybe they'll go on to do other things for the Lord. Maybe they're called to be here. 
I don't even pretend to know. But I am so excited to be a follower of the king. Now let's read verses 16 to 21 as we close out this chapter. I'll almost close out this chapter. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, will destroy them. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy them, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And let's continue all the way to verse 23. I think this is a typo on my part. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. And we continue to see the Holy Spirit weaving through This is the Lord. The Lord is doing this. He is the focus. Don't look at men. Don't look at spiritual things. Don't look at the world and the wisdom of the world. Look at the wisdom of God. It is eternal. It is perfect in the heavens. We're seeing this tension between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. The spirit versus our own human spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. We're seeing this tension back and forth, realizing we have a real God for a real world, for real people with real problems. And that as we continue to seek after him, he leads us. And we need to live our lives to please him, not ourselves. We must remember what it says in Galatians chapter 5. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But you will wrestle with it. We will do all these things by abiding in Christ and living for him, being focused on him, seeking him. And that when I realized that, the old Mike Burford, the angst against all the church planting conferences and how to plant church and how churches are supposed to be and the type of team you're supposed to have and the different gifts you're supposed to have. I didn't, I didn't care for any of that. I thought it was all nonsense. And it, it wasn't all nonsense. I'm a little too harsh. But I was right about one thing. A man who is obedient to God and follows after his word who is walking after and trying to please the Lord is a powerful, powerful thing. And none of the wisdom of man can compare to the wisdom of God. And he will continue to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. But I also have to remind myself, it doesn't matter what's in everybody else's basket. It doesn't matter what the church down the street is doing. What matters is what does God want to do here? And when he's done here, where are we going next? Because where he's at is where we all want to go. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your grace, your unmerited favor. Help us to mature in grace. Help us to be better followers of you, after you, desiring you, the things of you, that what you want us to do, Lord. Help us to grow in your word and to be filled with your spirit. I thank you that you give us the faith. I pray that you would help us to exercise it. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, come on up. Pray with you. If you want to hear Zayden's story, he's over here. You can go chase him down. God bless you and have a wonderful week.